This is the Commercial Property Show Australia. Show number 28. You have the managing agent approach the tenant and say, look, I know your option doesn't come up for another six, nine months, but what about if you exercised your option now? I know it's early, but if you exercise it now, I might be able to swing you a month rent free. Hey, commercial property community, how are we doing today? Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Andrew Bean, and before we start the show this week, we've got a few special announcements. First one, we've started a dedicated commercial property show community Facebook group. So if you want to get involved and speak to the other listeners and get in contact with the guests from the show, jump onto Facebook and search for Commercial Property Show Community, and I'll also put a link in the show notes and on our website. It's a private Facebook group, and we are going to be putting some exclusive content on there, so watch out for that. The next announcement today, very, very exciting. We are going to be giving away a prize every single episode from now on, and that prize is 50% off one of our strategic value add strategy plans. So all you really need is you need to own a commercial property, and then to enter, you need to go to Apple Podcasts and rate the Commercial Property Show Australia a five-star rating, leave a review with your name, and I will announce the winner every single episode, and I will also put the winner's name onto the Commercial Property Show Facebook group. And if you'd like to find out more information about our strategic value add strategy plan, you can go to uh, my website, www.developalife.com.au, and all the information is there. All right, let's get to the show. In today's show, Chris Lang and I wrap up part six of our Negotiating Tactics series, and that's selling your property for the highest return. Chris shares the tips and tricks that he has learned over the years. There's actually seven key tips that he gives throughout this interview. See if you can point them out that really, really will give you the highest return for your property when it's time to sell. Investing in commercial property is a lot like a team sport. You need a lot of good players around you to complete a property transaction. No one can do it alone. If you're like me and want to surround yourself with like-minded people who have similar property goals, people who motivate you and push you to achieve more, then come and join the commercial property community today. You can find our private group on Facebook by searching Commercial Property Show Community or you can click on the link in the show notes. Our expert guests are just waiting to answer your questions in the forum and together we can help each other reach the ultimate goal of financial freedom. Chris Lang is our guest today. How are you, mate? I'm well, thank you. So today we are wrapping up the final part of our negotiating tactics series, and that's part six, 
selling your property for the highest return. So first up, are there any specific events that would tell you the time to sell is approaching? Two things. One, job growth, and particularly within the service industry, which is where the occupants of most offices are. And I think if you've listened to previous sessions, offices, for my thinking, are probably the number one choice, industrial second, maybe retail, a distant third. But Australia, the overall unemployment rate, leaving aside the pandemic, has hovered around 5.5% for a few years now. It's crept up to 7 at the moment, or but I suspect that's going to come down pretty quickly as we roll back to activity after the various lockdowns around Australia. But conventional wisdom is that anything under 5% unemployment would start to put pressure on wages and therefore lead to higher inflation. However, since the global financial crisis, you've seen a continual lowering of interest rates and that's kept a lid on wages and forced the unemployment rate to remain fairly static. Nonetheless, should unemployment rates start to creep up again once we get over the pandemic, particularly in the service industries, that would be a clear indicator to consider selling that type of property, the offices and if you do like retail. The second indicator to watch would be building permits in the sector in which you're interested. Now you need to monitor what's coming onto the market into the next one to three years. Now, let's suppose, I mean, not everyone has an A and B class property. Let's say you've got a C class property, maybe a bit older, and it's obviously not have all the latest facilities. And let's say there are a few A class properties coming onto the market nearby in the foreseeable future. Said that, that there's been development permits issued or that construction's underway. That would mean the value of the entire area would increase and you should be able to charge higher rents. But more importantly, you won't need to worry about your C-class tenants moving into the new properties because they simply couldn't afford the rents. However, if you've got a B-class property and you then have a potential problem because the A-class properties will probably come onto the market more or less around the same time and those owners will be providing incentives as we've discussed previously, of rent-free or contribution to fit out to attract neighbouring B-class tenants into their buildings, the A-class buildings, offering them brand new space for not much more rental than they're currently paying. Now, as such, your occupancy rate could fall to rent level, and this would all have an effect on the overall net income for your property. Okay, so I just want to jump back there, Chris. This is a little bit off topic, but how are you feeling about office space now because of the coronavirus? Are you still happy with office space being your first choice? If there's any impact, it'll be in the CBDs. You've got to understand there will be a proportion of people that will continue working from home because particularly the people that commute an hour in the morning and an hour at night, they've suddenly realised they can be as effective, if not more effective, working from home and they just don't have to travel to get to work. 
Having said that, there will be some of them and some of their employers who will say, look, yeah, we're happy with you to do it two or three days a week at home, but the rest of the time we want you in the office. So there'll be some rostered system. Now, even if there's 20% less people in the offices, because of social distancing, they're going to have to reconfigure the desks and they won't be able to have so much of these hot desking type arrangements where they just crammed everyone in together they'll have to be more spread out and more amenities there. So, yes, there might be less people in the offices, but they will be taking up far more space than they were before. Now, with the CBD offices, that's a bit of an issue because they are multi-storey buildings. And because of social distancing, people will be concerned about travelling with a lot of people in the lifts throughout the buildings. So therefore, they're going to have to stagger their hours so that some will come in at 7, some at 8, some at 9, and maybe even 10, and then leave at a late staggered times in the, in the afternoon. It's going to be a bit of a logistical problem. And as I said, the greatest impact is probably going to be on the CBD. And what they may well decide to do is take whole departments and decant them out into the suburbs where the majority of their workers live either exactly or close by. So it's a 15-minute commute rather than an hour commute. So either way, most of your listeners will not be owners of CBD buildings. They're more likely to be owners of suburban or strata offices in suburban areas, which is where I think the greatest growth will be. Okay, so I guess uh, moving to a suburban office space will also attract a lower rental as well, so that'll be good for the business. Yeah. We'll jump back onto topic. What are some physical steps you could take to prepare your property for sale? I always say to my clients, within the first 12 months, you have to get your property and maintain your property in ready-to-sell condition. And... It's not that you plan to sell, but you just don't know what circumstances are ahead. Now, what most landlords do is they might have a five-year lease. They've got four years to run when they buy it. They get six or nine months out, and all of a sudden they think, oh, gee, I better spend a bit of money, make the place look good. Tenants are not stupid. They know what you're doing. So you're better to do some little things all the way along so that the tenant on a regular basis sees your tradespeople and therefore considers you to be a caring landlord so that you don't wait until the last minutes, a minute to start doing some work. You're doing it and maintaining it little by little and thereby spreading it over several financial years. The maintenance items will mostly be covered by the tenant under the terms of the lease. What we're talking about are the cosmetic things to the, if there's a garden outside, make sure that's well tended to the common areas. If you're part of a, a larger building, you've got a strata, see if you can get the body corporate to make sure the four years are well kept in prison. Because, I mean, that's the first thing that someone sees when they walk in the building is the four years. So you need to have that looking good. So that's probably the first thing I would do. And that's on the physical side. And the next thing you would look at is the financial side. And that is making sure that your rents are, are all up to date and the tenancy schedule looks good. And again, 
part of the reason for doing these things because if there is a rent review coming up, you want to get the best rent you can. If the tenant feels that you love the building and love them as a tenant, they're more likely to pay a decent rent increase at the time of exercising. I mean, you've got to remember, the tenant is your partner. They're paying the mortgage effectively and you have to have an agent who's looking after your property as though it were their own property. And that's the sort of attitude that you you want to have. Yeah, that's definitely the key. I've heard that from quite a few investors that yeah, you want to find an agent that feels like and manages the property like it's their own and that's the best outcome usually. All right, mate. So how do you actually decide upon the precise time to sell? Well, sometimes you can create the time to sell if you want to. Let's say you've got six to 12 months out and you have been looking after the tenant and there's a five-year option if the tenant exercises it. Well, what I tend to say to my clients is you have the managing agent approach the tenant ostensibly it's the agent's idea he's just flying a kite just chat to the tenant say look you know are you happy there and of course the tenant if you looked after him will say yeah we're happy and say you, you want to stay on and said yeah we're happy to stay on so well look i know your option doesn't come up for another six nine months but look what about if you exercised your option now I know it's early, but if you exercise it now, I might be able to swing you a month rent-free. And the tenant might say, well, that sounds like a good idea, but I want three months rent-free. So at least you know you've got something to talk about. So you might end up with two months. Now, two months rent-free to make it a a five-and-a-half-year lease as opposed to a six-month lease is well worth it. You will get back five times or more rent uh, sorry, sale price value by having that extra five years and the, the rent-free, you've got to remember, you're going to pay tax on that anyway. So it's more effective to have a higher capital value than worry about a month or two rent-free. So that way, even you still adopt the same approach even if you weren't going to sell because you may want to refinance the property. So it will value higher the extra five-year option exercise than if it's only got six months to run on the lease. So it's things you can do to get that started. Now, as to the actual time, well, you always want to leave something in for the next investor. And if you're selling after there's been a surge of in prices, you want to leave something in and not try and run that whole surge of prices I mean, it's always easy to sell into a strong market rather than waiting until you've run that through and the market flattens out just before you sell. Because if buyers can see nothing but strength at the time you're selling, the deal will proceed like clockwork. And as a rule of thumb, I mean, you sell when your friends and family think you're crazy. They're urging you to wait another six months to capture more of the upside. They simply don't understand the psychology of selling into a strong market. You never look back. You don't second guess yourself by thinking, "Eh, maybe if I'd hung on for another five or six months, I could have hit the top of the market. Instead, you should be kicking yourself if ever you find yourself selling at the top of the market because that means you haven't been watching the key indicators that we talked about before and have been recklessly waiting so long as to risk selling at a lesser price. 
And I guess you don't want to wait around until the, like if you put it in on the top of the market and the market's then going down, you don't want that listing to become stale. You definitely want it to be moving really, really quickly going into it. I really like that idea of leaving a little bit on the bone for the next investor. In Sydney, that doesn't seem to happen. Everyone always wants the highest, the highest, the highest price. But I have noticed in other areas in Australia, and it's kind of investor etiquette, to leave a bit on the bone for the next guy to come in or the next gal to come in. Yeah, look, it's not just etiquette, it's common sense. Most investors are like sheep who move in herds. They don't really know what they're doing, but they feel comfortable in the knowledge that all other sheep are doing the same thing. And that way they avoid leaving themselves open to criticism from their friends or their family. So as soon as the herd catches a whiff that there's a problem, you're in big trouble because then it stampedes and and sellers panic and start wanting to dump properties onto the market, making it impossible for you to obtain a reasonable outcome as the price cutting begins and the bad news follows. Instead, you want to be in a position to watch all of that play out in your rear vision mirror, having sold earlier when the market was looking good. And that way you can leave all that sort of carnage behind you. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. We'll be back after this short break. At Developer Life, we get it. You own a commercial property and want to add value to it, but you're not sure how or you just don't have time. Well, it has now never been easier for the novice investor to get professional results with our strategic value add strategy plan. We identify exactly how to add value to your property and deliver a step-by-step strategy plan to our clients. And if you're a passive investor looking for a total hands-off approach, we can even manage it for you with our project management service. So contact us today at www.developalife.com.au to secure your free 30-minute consultation today. That's www.developalife.com.au. We want to help you maximize the value of your commercial property. How do you choose whether to sell via auction or sell via expression of interest? Does it depend on what market you're in? How would you go with that? Look, if the property has a decent lease and stands out from amongst the rest, you would always sell by auction. I'm not a big believer in expressions of interest. Going back 10 or 12 years ago, maybe even 15, it used to be auction, private sale or tender. And auction was when the market was hot and the property was good and and good lease structure. Private sale was where you might be testing the market or you were probably overpriced and you just didn't think it would sell at auction. And tender was where the property was a bit complicated. You weren't too sure of the price because of that complication and you didn't want to get to auction day and only have a handful of people there and make it a a failure as an auction. What used to happen though is that Again, I say this without meaning to pull in every agent, but agents, or a lot of agents are basically lazy. They want to get the property on the market without necessarily having the full package of documentation ready. And so they went to tender 
they would go to the market and not have the contract documentation ready, not have a lot of the technical documentation ready. And so people were not only having to bid in the dark, I mean, at least in auction, you can see whether other people are bidding, but with a tender, you've got to shoot in the dark as to the price. And you have this sinking feeling, do I have all the information? I keep asking the agent, you send something through, but it comes through on the drip feed. And so most people were putting in non-conforming tenders or effectively expressions of interest. So agents then thought, oh, well, what's the point in having a tender? We may as well just call for expressions of interest, which are non-binding, but people can sort of trial without commitment a figure. And if it seems to have some interest, well, then they'll talk further and it becomes effectively a private sale. So that's when I developed this stealth marketing approach, which directs everything to a dedicated website for the property, which has every single piece of information on day one. So within half an hour of going to that website, you know whether you're a starter or you're not a starter, but you also know that every other person who's looking and interested in the property has the identical same information that you have. And if you don't put in a tender that complies, you may well miss out. Mm, isn't the old saying, uh, well listed is half sold? Exactly, yeah. So you just spend a little bit extra time putting it all together and the website enables you to tell a story at a pace that someone wants to read rather than dumping the whole lot in their lap. They can navigate around, find out what they want to find out. Some people are interested in the floor plan, others are interested in the history of the tenant. You can just tell a story a lot better. All right, mate, this is the last question. Are there any incentives you can negotiate with the buyer to sweeten the deal? An extended settlement may work if you're not in a hurry, particularly if it's got development potential, so you give the developer time to get the necessary permits. So it's not a conditional sale, but it might be a sale with a six-month settlement. Also, let's say the property's vacant. Now, what you might do is say to the purchaser, look, if you pay a 30% deposit, 10% on signing, 20% in 30 days, I'll give you a six-month settlement and I'll allow you to go in there and make improvements to the property. From your point of view, you end up with a sale. Yes, you've got to wait six months, but you get a, a healthy deposit. And if they don't proceed to settlement, not only do you have the 30%, but you have the improvements they've made to the property. But from the purchaser's point of view, they get to prepare the property in advance for market before they have to settle, have the chance during that time to find a tenant. And so at the point they actually settle or thereabouts, they can have the property valued as a tenanted property rather than just a vacant property. Yeah, so there's instant upside there. Well, there is, but you make the sale and probably at a good price because you're effectively funding them for six months while they get their house in order. Yeah, I love that. So would you ever entertain something like vendor finance? Personally, no. And I don't think many vendors would find acting for the buyer. I mean, with interest rates where they are and the market where it is, there's nothing wrong with the market at the moment. As I said to so many of my clients when we're in the middle of the pandemic, this is not like the global financial crisis. It's not a 
a collapse of the financial markets. It's a medical emergency with economic implications. And demand doesn't disappear in those circumstances. It simply gets deferred. So what we're seeing is, and you've seen it with the residential rates, the clearance rates are all above 60, pretty well all around Australia. Anything above 60% clearance rates at auctions on the weekend is putting pressure on prices. Okay. So there's nothing wrong with the market, and the same can be said for the commercial market too. So being that the interest rates are so low, and you know, if you put your money in the bank, you'd be lucky to get, say, 1% to 1.5% interest per annum. Mm. Wouldn't it be better to offer some vendor finance at, say, 5% or 6% or 7%? to get a better return in your money if you had no plans for that money anyway? Yeah, possibly, but I'm not sure why someone would borrow it at that. Okay. I mean, you, you can borrow money at 3%. Yeah, but the person might not have all of the deposit, so or they might not have the means to be able to go through with the wholesale. They might have the means for half of it, so they might be able to get uh, bank finance for some of the loan. Yeah, but that means you're taking second mortgage finance. Yeah. So 5% wouldn't be enough then. Oh, okay. What would second position mortgage be? Probably eight or nine. Okay. I just don't know. You're not getting any capital growth. I mean, I would have thought it would be better, even if you didn't want to go back into the property market in a standalone property You and you're of an age, let's say, that you just wanted reoccurring income, you're probably better to go into a listed property trust where you have a guaranteed yield, effectively, but you can realise or call back your funds at will. Fair enough. Okay. Interesting. All right, Chris, we'll wrap it up there. So I heard that you had a few spots available in your coveted mentor program coming available, uh, which don't usually come available very, very often. Would you like to tell listeners about that? Yeah, look, I have a handful of people in my mentor group, apart from the inaugural foundation members i generally only have about max of 20 because we have one-on-one sessions each month for 30 minutes and quarterly webinars and a whole host of training that they get complimentary and most of the members renew from year to year but there are a couple of positions coming up where people want to put their membership on hold because they've bought enough properties for the time being so i'll give you a link to put beneath the podcast's if they're still available, we'll enable people to find out more about the mentor group and if they'd like to be part of it. Excellent. Sounds good. All right, mate. So where can the listeners go to find out more about you and your services? I think the best place is one of my websites being commercialpropertymadeeasy.com, all one word, commercialpropertymadeeasy.com, which has a whole host of material there, both free and paid. There's a lot of free stuff there, videos and articles and reports that they can happily read and download. Fantastic, mate. My guest today has been Chris Lang. Cheers, buddy. Thanks, a pleasure. Alright, alright, that brings us to our newest segment to the show, and that segment is called Ripper Resource. Resource. 
in this segment, I'm going to share some resources that I have personally used, read, or listened to that have made a big difference in my life, and I think they deserve to be shared. So this week's Ripper resource is... Price Finder. Now, Price Finder isn't a book or any kind of like readable content. Well, I guess it is kind of readable. It's actually a platform. So it's a property platform that gives you information about the specific address that you're searching. So it's a paid platform. You do need to pay for it per month. I pay $100 a month to have access to it. Um, I think if you're paying full price, it's $150. I got the subscription through some kind of other property deal. So I'm getting a little bit cheaper. I think it's pretty much available for everyone though. But basically what it is, it's a platform that gives you all the relevant details about a property. So what you'll do is when you bring up the main screen, you'll search for a property address. That'll bring up the exact property. And then the first thing you'll see is a picture of the property and you'll also be able to see the dimensions of the property, the how big it is in square meters, who owns it, how long they've owned it for, the exact sales history of the property. You can also be lucky enough to get some phone numbers for the owner or the tenant in the property. It, it is it is more towards the residential, but you can also use it for commercial property, which is really, really great, I've found. Um, but it is missing some you know key details for commercial property, but hopefully in future they fix that. But you can also see if it's for sale history, if it's for sale at the moment, how many days it's been listed. And you can also see the leasing history. So that's very, very important if you want to get an idea of if it's ever been vacant and how long it was vacant for, or even how much they were asking for the rent. So it's a really, really good platform. I don't know if I could do what I do without it now. This is the only platform that I've used. I know there is CoreLogic out there. I've never used CoreLogic. It's probably very similar. Um, I don't know if it's better. I've just always used PriceFinder and it seemed to work for me. And just for the record, I'm not getting paid or anything to promote it. It's just I personally think it's a really, really good tool. And you can probably find out all this information for free. It just, it'll take you a lot longer. So basically, if you wanted to find it out for free, um, it might take you an hour to find all this information. But for someone who has access to Price Finder, it might take them literally a minute. So I guess it just comes back down to how valuable is your time and whether or not you're looking at property every day. I'm looking at property every single day, so it's very, very worthwhile to me. But maybe it's not for everyone. So it's this week's Ripper resource, and it is Price Finder. Thank you so much for listening. That brings us to the end of the show. Don't forget to check out our private Facebook group, Commercial Property Show Community. And if you'd like to go in the draw to win 50% off a strategic value add strategy plan for your commercial property, all you need to do to enter is go to Apple Podcasts, give the show a five-star rating and leave a review with your full name and the winner will get drawn out each episode. And remember, in the words of Grant Cardone, never lower your target. Only ever increase your actions. I'm Andrew Bean, signing off. This has been a Developer Life production.